How's everybody doing in the house? So glad to see each and every one of you here today. I'm Pastor Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Goldsboro Bridge. I'm, I'm going to tell you what, today's worship time combined with the baptisms that, that we did, um, I, I don't know what you have in your life that's heavy right now. I don't know what may be, be disappointing you, and I'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. We're going to be talking about disappointment today and what that means in our lives. Um, we've been in a series called All the Feels, and we've been talking about lots of different feelings that we can have that trap us and keep us away from the, the life that Jesus promised that we could have. Uh, today we're going to talk about disappointment. And, and as we were singing that song, you are good, you are good, you are good, you are good. And sometimes, you know, uh, we, we sing the word so many times, like, okay, you're good, you're good, you're good. What, what other lyrics are there? Um, songs like that, if, if it's not here, it can very easily just become this meaningless, repetitious thing. But sometimes in your life, all the theology that you need is to gaze upon Christ and acknowledge that he is good. Just acknowledge that he's good because we do a really good job sometimes humanly at gazing at our disappointments and saying, that's so bad. <laughs> Don't we? I mean, we'll say that over and over again. But all we got to do is take our eyes off of the disappointment and look to the, for lack of a better word, the size of Jesus and his ability and say, you're good. And sometimes I feel like if we could just take our eyes off the disappointment and put it on God, not to say that it goes away or it doesn't mean anything anymore, but the disappointment all of a sudden becomes doable. All of a sudden it becomes uh, something that we can overcome with Christ's power. My son, who's seven years old, he's, he's like this tall. And to, to him, I'm a giant. Now, I'm, I'm not a tall man by any stretch of the imagination, but to him, I mean, I'm just, I'm He-Man, you know? Any 80s kids remember He-Man? Oh, yeah, we remember who that is. I'm not him. I'm not saying I am. But to my seven-year-old, I am. I'm he, man. And I just, you know, I look at other guys. They're a lot bigger, taller than me. But to my seven-year-old, man, I am, I'm tall. Um, but have, have you ever seen, uh, where, where's Randall? Is Randall close? If he's not close, I'm going to call Luke. He's, he's the next best thing. Actually, he's, he might be a little taller. <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm not so tall anymore to my seven-year-old, am I? Now Lucas is taller. Uh, and, and he's He-Man, and now I'm, I'm She-Ra. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you remember the show, it's not, it's the, it's the, they, I'm not tall anymore, but if all he does is look at me, I'm tall. You see where I'm going with this? But all of a sudden, one look at Lucas next to me, I'm not so tall anymore. All of a sudden, now Lucas is the tall one. Thank you, Lucas. Give Lucas a hand. The point I'm trying to make is if all we do is stare at our disappointment, it looks big. But if, we, if we'll take our eyes off of the disappointment and get some perspective as to what's actually really big in our lives, bigger than what the disappointment is, I think the disappointment becomes doable. Do you agree? It's all about perspective. It's all about what you're gazing upon. It's all about what you're looking at. And we typically respond to disappointment in our lives in several different ways. We're, we're tempted to dis respond to disappointment in unhealthy ways. We're tempted to be demanding whenever we face a disappointment. You know what? Somebody is going to make this right. And we just stomp our foot down, and we have been done wrong, and, and, and we're demanding. Sometimes we, we, we're defeated. We're tempted just to be, well, I deserve it. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that person did that to me. That just must be what my life's going to be about. I, I probably deserve that. We're just defeated. Another unhealthy way that we respond to disappointment is jealousy. Well, why'd they get it worked out for them? 
You know, why, why do I have to be? Look at them. We begin to covet the other person's stuff. Well, my car's a piece of junk, and theirs seems to just run, and theirs, theirs never has any problem. Why can't I, you know, why, why can't I have what, what they have? We start to covet other people's stuff. Another unhealthy way we look at disappointment is we begin to make accusations. Look at what they did to me. You know, we, I'm pointing a finger, and all of a sudden I'm the victim, and I, I live in that. In the Bible, we're going to talk about a guy today uh, named Moses. Anybody remember him? You must, you've at least heard of him. Moses, uh, he, he faced some disappointments along the way. I mean, if anybody is a pro at disappointment, it's him. I mean, he had so many opportunities. Not, not that he, he did it well all the time, but he had so many opportunities being disappointed uh, in his life. Remember, Moses was the guy who was minding his own business on the backside of the desert, uh, tending his father-in-law's sheep, and God comes to him in the form of a burning bush, a miracle in and of itself, right? And tells him, I wanna, I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and I want, to, I want to use you as the tool to rescue my people, the people of Israel. Millions of people now, they've been enslaved in Egypt for generations. Over about 400 years they've been enslaved. Their cry came to God. God says, Moses, I'm going to send you. And Moses begins to do what we do, and we begin to say, you have the wrong person, right? I, I can't do that. And he begins to make the list of, of excuses. You know, what, what, what are people going to do when they, say me, when they see me? I'm not good enough. And, and God tries to tell him that he is. And he says, well, you know, what, what, what am I going to do if they ask me and I don't have the right answers when they begin to ask me some tough questions? Or, or you know what, God, I'm, I'm not that great of a speaker. I don't speak very eloquently. I don't speak well. You know, I, I can't do it. And, and God begins to just give him these miracles right there. I mean, just to prove that God is God and that God is obviously going to help him. And so he looks at all the miracles. He's pretty astonished at what God's doing um, right there. And, and then he looks at God and he says, is there anybody else that you can get? You know, I'm, I'm just not that guy. And God says, I'm going to rescue the people, and you're the person I'm sending. And so Moses goes along with the help of his brother Aaron. And, you know, you would think after all that, uh, after all the miracles that were done right there in front of Moses to kind of pep him up and, and, and make sure that he understands that, you know what, God is going to help me. And, and he begins to go on his way. You, you would think, you know, if you were Moses, oh, this, should be, this is going to be a piece of cake. I mean, God's just done all this great stuff. To be sure, he's just going to make this happen, you know, just like a piece of cake. And then he, he meets Pharaoh, and he begins to tell him what God said. And Pharaoh initially says, yes, I'll let him go. And then you know the story. He, he says, no. <laughs> you know, it kind of goes back and forth. God kind of foretold that was going to happen. But can you imagine the disappointment that that must have been like? And then there were 10 plagues because it was going back and forth. And it was this whole crazy mess. Disappointment. And then finally, you know, he lets the people go, and they go, and Moses gets them out, you know, into the desert, and then they start to complain <laughs> against Moses. They start, at one point, they said, you know, you brought us out here to die, and you would think if you're Moses, and you have just rescued millions of people from slavery for over 400 years, that they would be grateful. No, they weren't. They may have been for to start with, but they complained all the time. You'd think they'd be appreciative. Disappointing. Disappointing. And in Exodus 15, we're going to pick up the story there just shortly after they leave Egypt. And they're complaining because they've got this water problem. Remember the first water problem they had when they faced the Red Sea? Remember that? And they had to cross it, and remember Moses did his thing, and, and God's power worked through him and, and split the Red Sea, and the Bible says they walked through on dry ground. Well, now they have a different water problem. In Exodus 15, we're going to read verse 22 and 23. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. 
And for three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Now, get this picture. They've gone three days. They're thirsty. Have you ever gone three days without water? Anybody? I mean, if you go a day, you're typically, I, I, I got to have something to drink. I got to have some water. They've gone three days. Not only that, they've been walking in a hot desert. It says, then they came to Mara, where there was water, but they couldn't drink it because it was too bitter. And that's why the place is called Mara. So Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. They actually named the place after that. Here, here's the truth about disappointment uh, in, in the story, that our greatest successes are often followed by big failures, by big disappointments. I want you to get this picture because it seems like successes don't last long before failures or disappointments come into your life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They, they just had gotten tomorrow, okay, but they had just come three days earlier from one of the greatest miracles that God had ever done in their lives, parting the Red Sea. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've tried to picture myself seeing that first person, and it just it blows me away. And, and this great success, this great thing that God did, he miraculously made this way of escape for them. I mean, they actually sang a song of victory. You can read it in, in, in the book of Exodus. And then all of a sudden, here they are. God leads them to a place where the water is undrinkable. They got this huge success followed by a disappointment. And, and we, they probably asked the same question that we ask whenever we face disappointment in our lives that seemed like it's a crushing blow. Why? And, and we look up and we're like, I, I just, I can't figure it out, God. Why? Whenever you've done so good, you are good, uh, good, uh, oh, you know what I mean? And, and we see this and we're like, you're good, you're good. And then all of a sudden there's this huge disappointment. I mean, God, you, you, you did all this stuff for me. You just gave me a job and now my car breaks down. God, you, you just, you, you, the man or the woman of my dreams has just come into my life. You are good, uh, and then financial problems, oh, God, you, you're doing all these things. There's success. There's awesome successes. And then I'm following you, God. Why, why this disappointment? And they were asking, why? Have you ever asked God why? Why the disappointment, God? And then in verse 25, he actually gives us the answer. Why this huge success? And why now they're, they're facing this problem of having water and it's too bitter to drink? It said, there the Lord gave the people a rule and a law to live by. And there he tested their loyalty to him. He, tested, he was testing their loyalty. And you think about that. God, why, why would you do that? But here's the, here's the thing. It was a huge disappointment to them. But see, God had a purpose behind it. He, they were his people. They were called by God. And he was wanting to shape them in such a way that they would be able to follow the Most High God. He wanted to know if they trust him. He, he simply wanted to know. He wanted to know, probably more important, if they would remember the success that they had just had. Or, or would they simply drown in the disappointment? See, we actually see God doing this all throughout the scriptures. We, we see God doing this all throughout our own lives. And you might be facing disappointment today, and you've come from a success. And I'm telling you right now, God, God's not wanting you to drown in the disappointment. He's wanting you to remember the success. Because, see, God's character was revealed to them at the Red Sea. God's character was revealed to them at the success, his power, his, his ability, his faithfulness to them. But see, their character was going to be revealed at Mara in the bitterness, in the hard times. And it's the same thing in our life. God's character is always going to be revealed. His power, his, his ability, his might, his faithfulness to you is always going to be revealed in the successes that you experience with God's hand on it. But see, when you face that disappointment, that's, that's where your character is going to be tested. 
What do you do when you face disappointment? Because when you face disappointment, does it mean God's character is any less in the successes that he brought? Does it mean that God's character is any less in your disappointment? No, see, that's, that's when it's our job to turn around and show God, I still trust you. I still trust you, God. What do we do when disappointment shows up? How did the Israelites respond? Well, we'd like to think they just trusted God and we, they did so good. They didn't. <laughs> verse, tw- verse 24 says, so the people grumbled against Moses. What are we going to drink? <laughs> Can you just see them? I mean, I, like I said, I've tried to imagine the Red Sea. I think if I had seen that, I'd have probably trusted God. But I wasn't there. I'm not, I'm not judging them. Not judging you. I'm sure we've all seen successes and disappointments and we've reacted bad. <laughs> they messed up. They, they grumbled. What, what are we going to drink? What are we going to do? They, they forgot about God's ability and his great power that, that they had just seen. They, it's like they just forgot. And how, how easy is it for us to forget? How easy is it? I mean, we, God does something great, and then all of a sudden they complain. We complain. How many of you have kids that have just forget everything good you do for them and they complain? Yeah, we're going to put this into perspective really quick. I, I had uh, all four of the kids one day, and I decided I was going to take them to this really fun place with pizza and games and music and and a show. I mean, it's like this all-in-one place. You take your kids, you spend, I don't know, a good chunk of change, and you're hoping that they're going to be grateful, right? They had a blast, and honestly, I had a blast too. I'm just going to be honest with you. Yep, I took some of my kids' tokens. Don't judge me. The point I'm trying to make, the point I'm trying to make is that we did good. I mean, it was like this huge success in my eyes, and we get back in the truck, and we're riding down the road, and they start complaining because we can't now go get ice cream. And they are just complaining about this. And I'm like, what is going on? First of all, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just mystified at how they can even be hungry <laughs> after everything that we just did. But secondly, I'm like, how did you forget what dad just did? I mean, literally, we haven't been gone from there 30 seconds, and you're already complaining. So I'm just going to give you parents a little tip. I made up a song about being thankful and made every one of them sing it to me in unison. <laughs> yep. I'm not, I'll spare you right now. But yep, it was one short stanza, and I made them sing it about five times. And I'm like, well, you want to sing it again? Say ice cream one more time. We'll, we'll sing it again. Next time I'll have you sing it in three-part harmony. Don't mess with me. We do the same thing. We just do the adult version. We do. God, God comes in. He has this huge success, and we, we're thanking God. Man, we, we are shouting the chandeliers down. And as soon as something turns a little bit south, we think that God has forsaken us, and we are just out to fend for ourselves, and God has just, he's nowhere to be found. God can't be in this because this must have Satan's hand on it. You ever heard somebody say, Satan's been on my back, Satan's been on my back. Well, could it be that God is allowing you to face a disappointment to see how you're going to react? Not because he's some weird God that just likes to mess with you like a guinea pig. He's trying to build trust in you. He's trying to, to, to shore up you, shore up your trust. His ability, his character It never, ever, ever changes. It never takes a turn for the worse. It it, it always stays the same. That's why the scriptures say he's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. He's not a human being as the shift. He's the same. So in your life, you're going to face disappointment. They faced Mara. They faced bitterness. We're going to face some bitterness too. The question is, is what are we going to do? What are we not going to do? Maybe that's a better question. So I want to talk about four things today quickly to remember when you face disappointment in your life. Say four things. Four things, real quick. Here we go. First, when someone disappoints you, don't curse them. 
I'm not talking about four-letter curse words necessarily, although you probably want to avoid that too. What I am talking about is speaking out negatively in an unhealthy way that drags you down. Okay? Do not curse them. Don't, don't do it. It's easy to do. Somebody has to be blamed, right? And I'm sure in a lot of the disappointments, we, we can track it to a person. <laughs> don't do it. Do not do it. Don't curse them. It's amazing how creative we can get whenever it's time to cast the blame. It's amazing how, how, how much we can think. We go straight to the blame game, and it results in us speaking against them in an unhealthy way. Um, some of you may remember the name Winston Churchill. He was a prime minister of the UK during the World War II era. Um, great man, but he was also known for being very witty and belittling at the same time. And there's, there's this story that has been kind of passed down. Um, it, here's how the story goes. He's, he's visiting. He's, he's out late. He's with a group of people. A lady named Lady Astor is there. She was a member of parliament. And he is just grating on her nerves. I mean, he is just, I'm not going to tell you all the details, but he's just grating on her nerves so bad that she says to him, if I was your wife, I would put arsenic in your drink. And he looks at her and he says, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> That's the story. That's the way it goes. And, and while that's humorous, and while we can kind of put that in our brain bank, our Rolodex, to say that next time something like that happens to us, don't do it. When, when you face disappointment, do not speak negatively. It does nothing to get you to moving past the disappointment. Absolutely nothing. In fact, it keeps you there. It keeps you there for round two. Here's the truth. The moment you decide to take up your own defense, God stops defending you. Because you've just completely taken it out of his hands and tried to do it yourself. And here's, here's another soft truth. We fail. We may do good for a bit, but we always come to a place of failure. God never fails. Let him be the one to defend you. Do not curse them. When someone disappoints you, do not speak out against them. Number two, say number two. Number two, do not rehearse the disappointment. When we rehearse, we're typically gearing up for some type of performance. Uh, I went and saw Dance for Christ yesterday, awesome for performance. They rehearsed. And when we rehearse things, we're gearing up for a performance. And what the performance is this. We're going through it in our minds, and you're rehearsing it, and it's rolling. And when you rehearse it, it gets bigger. And we're standing there all by ourselves, and in our minds, we are trying to figure out the best thing to say at just the right time. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And you've rehearsed it in your mind, and, and all of a sudden, there, there you are, and, and they're saying something to you, but you're, you're saying something right back to them. And, and it's always so good because you have so many tries at it in your mind, right? And they can't say anything, and they've just been completely put to shame, and, and they tried to say something else, but you've said something back in your mind. It's this performance you're rehearsing, and it keeps going. And then all of a sudden, they're just completely shamed, and everyone picks you up on their shoulders, and they, they carry you out. You know what I'm talking about? Don't act like you haven't done this. I know you have. I'm not the only one. And, and we rehearse this thing, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the time it's all over with, we've shamed somebody, we've slapped three people, and ain't nothing happened in real life. <laughs> Has it? And, and then, and then we, we, we try, uh, I just wish that they'll come at me again so that I can say everything I just rehearsed. But those kind of things don't happen in real life. They just don't. I heard a quote one time that said, I hate it when I plan a conversation in my head and the other person doesn't follow the script. My disappointments become more disappointing when I rehearse them. They do. My disappointments, they, they explode and they get even more disappointing when I rehearse them. So if I'm not going to do that, then what does the Bible have to say? Because that should be where we're going to start with, right? Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 31. It says, get rid of all bitterness. Paul's talking to the Ephesian church. 
He says, get rid of rage and anger and harsh words. Get rid of slander. That's that, that cursing in somebody's life, speaking negatively about somebody. Get rid of all types of evil behavior. A few verses before, in verse 26 and 27, he says, when you're angry, don't sin. Some of us just need to handle that right now. When you're angry, do not sin. I got a better one. Well, not a better one. This is the word of God. I've got a little Pastor Ryan here. When you're angry, do nothing. That's one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever gotten. When you are emotionally charged one way or the other, don't do anything. Because you can't take it back, the words. You can't go back and redo it. Once you've said it, once you've done it, it's out. If you're emotionally charged, don't do anything. That's why he says, when you're angry, don't sin. And be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Do not give the devil a way to defeat you. When we rehearse our disappointments in our minds and they spin and they get bigger, does that make us more angry or less angry? It makes us more angry. It makes us more vengeful. It makes us more in tune to what, really, if I'm just honest, what the devil would want to do. And he says right here, don't give the devil a way to defeat you. And by dealing with anger and frustrations associated with disappointment in a godly way, we actually stop the devil from having a foothold in our lives. You know, his whole desire is to, to eat you up with anger, is to eat you up with these disappointments in such a way that we begin to, to ruin relationships. That's all he wants. He wants to ruin you. He wants to ruin the most intimate relationships in your life. And he does this when we think and we act in anger. So don't rehearse the disappointment. Here's a couple of things to start doing. Say number three. Do disperse it. Do disperse the disappointment that you have in your life. Do go to God and spill the beans, if I can say it that way. There are lots of people that we want to go to and disperse to them, but guess what? They didn't make you. They don't know exactly the intimate details of your situation like God does, and they certainly don't have the solution like God does. So go to God first. If he wants you to go to somebody else, he'll tell you. But go to him first. Disperse it to the Lord. In verse uh, 25 of Exodus, when, when, when the people are complaining against Moses and they're doing all this stuff, it says that Moses cried out to the Lord. He, he cried out to the Lord. First Peter 5, 7, I, I love this. He says, give all your worries to him, to God, because he cares about you. He's not going to give you advice or, or something that, that, that kind of goes against the right way to go. He loves you. He cares about you. So go to him. Give him your worries. Cry out to him. When you go to people, man, you're, all you're really trying to do when you go to people is justify your feelings. We can very easily fall in that trap. Take them to the Lord. That's what Moses did. That's our example. Instead of gossiping about other people, instead of gossiping about the boss that we have just you know, been threatened by or whatever, or lining people up to try to take our side, that's, that's the kind of mentality we have when we start going to people. Even if it's innocent to start with, what we're really trying to do is build up a defense. Go to God. Disperse it to God. Number four, say number four. Number four, watch God reverse it. That's really what we want. We want, we want God to take our disappointment and turn it into something beautiful. Take our ashes and make beauty out of it. And you'll be surprised at how often God not only longs but will reverse disappointments in your life when you go to him. When you say, God, I'm not going to myself, I'm not going to other people, I'm not going to rehearse it in my mind, I'm not going to speak negatively, God, I'm coming to you, I'm dumping it out to you, I want your advice, I want to do what you want to do, God, he very well could reverse your situation. Sometimes he'll change you. Both of those are wins, do you know? Let's go back to Moses and the people at Mara. They're there, Moses is crying out to God, 
Watch what happens in the last part of verse 25. So he goes to God, he cries out to him, and the Lord shows him a tree. And when Moses takes the tree and throws it into the water, the water becomes good to drink. That's pretty interesting, right? You're like, I'd love to throw a tree at a few people. <laughs> Just show me a tree, God. You know, I, I don't know why it was a tree you had to throw in the water. I, I don't know. I don't know if it had medicinal purposes. I don't know if it was some type of holistic, you know, material that we don't know about. I have no idea, and honestly, it really doesn't matter. The point I'm trying to make is, is that when he went to cry out to God, there was a solution that, he all, that was right there, right in front of him. He just didn't see it. And when he cried out to God, there was the solution. When he went to God with, with his disappointment, when he cried out to God, God opened his eyes to see the solution that was right in front of his face the whole time, but he was blinded to it. And what I want to tell you is God's got a solution for you, and it might be right in front of your face, but you can't see it because you're blinded by hurt. You're blinded by, by vengeful thinking. You're, you're blinded by a flesh nature that's literally just out to destroy you. And God is saying, listen, the solution that I have for you may or may not even be what you thought was going to be the solution, but you'll never see it until you come to me. Because my ways aren't your ways. Have you ever heard that? He means it. He, he really means that. Have you ever gone to God and, and you kind of had a, a way you thought it was innocent and it was actually, you, you thought it was going to be a, the right way to handle it, but you went to God and when you really got into his presence, when you really poured your heart out to him, he began to show you a different way that you absolutely would have never even imagined. To act a certain way, to do a certain thing, to, to go to someone and say something that you, you didn't even think was even important. But it actually ended up being the solution that actually reversed your situation and moved you forward. Am I cursing? Am I speaking ne negatively in my disappointment? Am I rehearsing it? Am I, am, am I all these disappointments? There, there's no way that you're going to be able to see God's provision when you do that. And if I'm honest with you, and if you can hear the truth from me today, from my heart, it's awfully hard to sense God's love for us when we're thinking those things and doing those things. God wants to show you how much he loves you. When we move past our hurt and our own pity, and we begin to invite God into our disappointment, he'll bring you a solution. Did you know that the greatest shortages in our lives are often followed by abundance? Because they, they had this problem. It was, it was bitter water. And a little bit later, God takes them to this place called Alim. Um, in verse 27, it says they, they came to Alim, and where there was 12 springs, 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Keep in mind, they're in the middle of a desert, and they've, they've come into this place bitter. They don't know what they're going to do. Moses goes to God, their leader, which represented the whole. And next thing you know, they're, they're at this place with 70 palms, with, with trees, with fresh water, and they're, they're camping here. And it's like, talk about a turnaround. Talk about a, a turnaround. Now, I want you just to take a, a guess at how far this place was from Mora, the place where they just were in bitterness. How, how far was Eileen? thousand miles. Man, they must have had to travel far to get there. Five miles. That's all. Five miles. They had no clue that a complete turnaround was literally just around the corner, and God had to lead them there. And I just want to tell you, your turnaround, your, your new season of life could be just around the corner, and you fought, and you've tried, and you've gotten to some real bitter places, and you've been tempted to, to curse the people that have brought you there, and you've been, you've, you've been tempted to rehearse that disappointment over and over and over again in your mind. And I just want you to know, bring that thing to God. You don't know just how close you are to a turnaround in your life. 
And I just have a feeling I'm talking to some people today who are heavy about some disappointments. And you think, you know what, this is never going to be any different. I've fought, I've tried, I've prayed, I've, I've done the whole God thing, right? And I've, I've done the best I can. But Pastor Ryan, this person is never going to change. Or Pastor Ryan, you know, my job situation is never going to change. My, my financial situation is never going to change. The status of my relationship is never going to change. I'm, I'm, whatever it is that's ailing you, whatever it is that's bringing you down, God's got a purpose for your life. And he's saying he's wanting desperately to bring you to it. He's, he's wanting desperately to give you a turnaround to show you that you can trust him. The question is, is what are you going to do in your disappointment? Are you going to bring it to him and let him show you that place? Because I, I know some of you today are, are struggling because you're, you're, you're waiting for that turnaround. And, and that's the question that I have. What, what do you do when, when maybe you're still waiting, when your story is still going on, whenever you don't have the turnaround yet. Matter of fact, you've given it to God, you've poured your heart out to him, and, and really you don't see God reversing anything. Can I just be real? That's when we begin to ask the questions, God, where, where are you at? I hear what Pastor Ryan's saying, sounds like a good motivational talk. I even believe it. But in my situation, nothing's changing. I'm still hurt. I'm still this. I'm still that. I'm still heavy. God, where are you? And here's what I want to tell you. When you get to the place where nothing's happening, you still aren't seeing God reverse anything. You're still not seeing it. What do you do? The answer is this. You keep going. You keep going. You keep praying. You keep digging in. You keep, you keep praying and believing that God will come through for you. You don't turn your back on God. You don't say, well, if you were God, you would, or you, if I was you, I, I would, or this is the answer if you should. You keep going. You keep believing that God is still in control and he's still sovereign over your life. In Isaiah, when he says, you know, my ways aren't your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, that's not just some crutch that we live on so that we can say, well, you know what, we have the, the ace card in God when we're talking to other people. He really does mean that. And if we try to begin to understand what God is up to in our human finite minds, it's like trying to comprehend the whole entire universe while I sit here and tell it to you for 10 minutes. It's utterly impossible. In fact, the New Testament says that we cannot even begin to fathom the depths of God's wisdom. But along with that, it says his love for us is the same. It's higher than the heavens. We can't fathom that either. So what do you do when you don't see the answers, when the reverse hasn't happened yet? You keep trusting. You keep believing. You keep saying, God, I don't have the answers right now, and I don't have any other answer than to say, I trust you and I believe in you. You keep going to him with your hurt. You hurt in front of him. You tell him again if you've got to. But you keep going. How, how do you face disappointments and, and still say, God is good? I think when you face disappointments, you have a decision to make. You can, you can do one of two things. You can say, I am going to believe that God is still in control of my life and that God still loves me and he's still working for my good. Or you, I can base my opinion of him on my current disappointment. One of those choices is going to better you, and one of those choices is actually going to lead you into resentment. It's really either way. You, you can't stay in the middle. You, you go one of two places. So what do you do when disappointment is still a part of your story and you don't have all the answers? You keep going. You keep praying. You keep understanding that God is sovereign. You keep pouring your heart out to him. You keep moving. 
One of the last things the couple said in that video, it kind of burned in my, my mind. That is this, we have hope. We have hope. And it's not vain hope, because I think all of our prayer would be that, that Donnie live, that God, you know, cure him, that God heal him, that God do something miraculous in his life. That's what we all pray. But their hope isn't simply in this life. You have to understand that. And I hope yours isn't. Paul was talking to the Philippian church, and this, this was a church that had gone through some rough times, and, and he was encouraging them, and, and he said, you know what? He said, if, if all of your hope is in this earth, he said, then, then this is your reward. He said, and there's some people that live like that, and they're actually enemies to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the cross of Jesus Christ wasn't meant to keep us here. It was meant to get us there, to heaven, to give us eternal life. And he says, if you can understand that, if you can grasp it, that your citizenship is not here on this earth. Did you know that the funeral home business never took a hit in 2008 when the economy tanked? You want to know why? Because people pass away. In fact, the scripture says it's appointed unto man to die once. We've already heard this. And, and 120 years would, would, would be our, our age limit. If you can get to 120, man, God bless you. But we're all moving out of this place from one place to into eternity to one of two places. It's going to happen in every one of our lives. And Paul was talking to the Philippians and he said, if you can just know as believers in Jesus Christ that your citizenship isn't here, but it's in heaven. And if you'll keep one eye on heaven and, and it's going to help you endure the disappointments you have here, understanding that God is sovereign and he, he just very well may heal you right here and your disappointment completely be reversed. He says, but even if you have to endure it, he says, when you keep your eye on heaven where your citizenship really is, he said, that's how you stand firm here. That's how you stand firm here. That's how you can stand and say, God, I trust you. <laughs> I believe in you. If I've got to fall backwards and just do a trust fall right into your arms, Lord, if you take my very life, I know to be absent in the body is to be present with Christ. I, I'm not a citizen of here. That's our hope. That's Donnie's hope. Let me take you back to Mara for a minute with Moses. Interestingly enough, the, the, the solution was a tree. <laughs> he threw it in the water, and it turned his bitterness into gladness. Everybody got to drink. Interestingly enough, the cross of Jesus Christ has been referred to as a tree. In many of the English translations, they, they say tree because in the Greek it was it was, they, they said wood a lot along with cross, and so it kind of morphed in English to tree. Moses' solution was a tree. Maybe that's your solution today. Maybe your solution is the cross of Jesus Christ to accept him, to accept the sacrifice that he made for you so that your eternity can be secure, so that you can look and, and have one eye on heaven and know that your citizenship, if you were to, to leave this planet today, that you'd be in heaven. <laughs> And as long as you walk your days on this earth, the Bible says that's how you stand firm here, knowing where you're going. Maybe you need to get things right with Jesus today and accept him. Can we pray together? Can we stand? Let's stand up and then we're going to pray. I want you to be honest with yourself today. Our prayer team's coming. If you need some prayer today, if, if you want to just make that decision and you're saying, I want someone to help me pray, they're up here right now more than happy to help you pray. If you have a need in your life that you're 
battling over and you don't know how you're going to overcome it and you just, you just need someone to pray for you. They're, these folks up here are willing to do that and they're ready. God, I, I thank you for this church body right here, right here at the Bridge Goldsboro, Father. Lord, in, in overflow, in, in, in this auditorium here, Lord, wherever we're at, we're lifting our hearts to you right now. And our disappointments are big in our life. That's why, we, that's why they're heavy to us. But you, you, Jesus, you said in this life, we will have trouble. You said it. But then you said, take heart because that you would overcome the world. And so we don't come with one eye or both of our eyes just on the problem. Lord, we, we, we come with, with our eyes focused on you, knowing that whatever we face, God, you're sovereign over it. Maybe we don't feel the feelings of that right now, but we have faith. We believe in your sovereignty. We, before you show us the answers, God, we, we believe. We cry out to you. Lord, and I, I just pray for every family here, every man, every woman, every child who's facing the hurt of something in this cursed life where sin kind of just has its way sometimes. I, I pray, God, that they begin to get a real understanding right now of who you are. And church, I, I believe with my whole heart that God is, is kind of tapping you. He, he, you. You can feel it. You can feel something needs to change. And I, I, I'm just here to tell you, that's not me. That's not Pastor Ryan. That is the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, who loves you, who died for you, and is wanting to take your hand and lead you. Would you be bold enough to hold his hand? Would you be bold enough to lay down your own way of doing it and just say, God, lead me? There's some people up here who can help you pray. I'm going to say a prayer right now, and... God doesn't make this difficult. He doesn't make it weird. He doesn't make it some type of a mystical thing. He says, believe in me with your whole heart. Believe that I died for you. Confess it with your mouth. He says, and he, you will be saved through faith. I'm just going to say a prayer. Agree with me in your heart. God, I, I can't do this alone anymore. Truth be told, I could never do it by myself. I need you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you made a sacrifice for me that I absolutely could not make. I believe that you really died. I believe that you really, really rose again, demonstrating your power over death and giving me new life. And I just want you to lead me, not just through this disappointment, not just through the hard times, but God, I want you to be Lord of my life. Because just like Paul said in the Bible, I, I want to know that, that I'm going to heaven to be with you. I'm not perfect. I'll never be, but I, I want to wake up every day and aim my heart at you. I trust you, God, to fill in all the gaps. Can we just end the service by doing this? If you're bold enough to do it, can we just lift our hands to him? Higher, as low as you want, but just lift your hands to him. This, this is the universal sign of surrender. This is, a, this is a good posture to live by. I do it daily. I, I encourage you to do it. God, I, we just surrender to you. It's symbolism here, God, but you, you see our hearts that are doing it, not just our hands. This, we could walk around like this, it would mean nothing, but you see our hearts. We're yours, and we want you to know it. Be the Lord of our lives. Be the God not only of our joys, Lord, but help us to see our disappointments as opportunities to trust you and get better, as opportunities to remember the successes, as opportunities to remember your faithfulness, as opportunities to, to remember, God, that you never fail. And what looks like failure right now is an opportunity for me to step up 
and, and trust you and to put one foot in front of the other and keep my head held high, knowing that the God of all loves me. Help us to remember that, God. Our hands lifted high. We're giving you that permission to come into our minds and, and just remember, Holy, let us remember, Holy Spirit. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray these things. Can we say amen together? Amen. amen. We agree together.